parents. It's Robin McMahon here. Before you dive into this episode, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to my show, Parenting Our Future. And did you know that you can watch this show as well on YouTube? If you want to watch this episode instead of listening to it, you can head over to my YouTube channel, Parenting for Connection, where you will find all of my podcast episodes, as well as a library of my videos that have tips and parenting strategies on how to parent even the most difficult kiddos. You will learn how to get better behavior, better listening, so that you can feel more calm and confident in your parenting, no matter what you're facing. So I hope to see you over on YouTube. Now back to the show. Hey, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome to another episode of Parenting Our Future. I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Crystal Menzies, who's on the show today. And we are talking really about the richness of Black history. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about her before I start asking her all the questions. So she's a former educator in urban schools. Crystal drew and is drawing on her personal experience as an African diasporan history and her Guyanese African-American roots to found Emancipate TED. Uh, where she develops research-based educational experiences that center Black communities. Her flagship product, as in her flagship product, she draws on the stories of Maroon communities, which are Africans who freed themselves from slavery and created hidden societies. And she does this to offer Black and Brown families a model for how to navigate as liberated beings within an oppressive within oppressive systems. She lives in the Bay Area and enjoys reading Marvel movies, well that we have in common, and daydreaming of black futures. I love that Dr. Crystal Menzies. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. That's great. So you know, I I said that we're talking about the richness of black history and I I want to understand uh, what you mean by that? Well, I was a history teacher and in the standards that I taught in California, black history starts with enslavement. And I was actually just watching a TikTok video of a mother, a black mother in Virginia, um, Makia Little, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She was helping her daughter with homework and noticed that little blurb about Africans is like, we don't know anything about their existence. We think they were servants or slaves. Mm. She was at a school board meeting talking about this. And pre-colonial Black history was full of Mali Empire, the Songhai Empire, uh, Mansa Musa, who was the richest person in history at that time. And the idea that there was no history pre-enslavement and the idea that all of Black history is rooted in how others have treated us mm. is, I want to trouble the narrative a little bit, you know, <laughs> trouble the waters there and really just talk about how not all of Black history is centered around our trauma. It's also about our cultural production, our joy we've built communities. Okay, so so what you're saying is that Usually what we are taught in schools starts with the slave narrative. Yes. Is that what you're saying? And that Mm -hmm. actually there's much more to it than that before that. And so, um, you want, so, so can you share a little bit of what that history is? Yes. Well, I, there's a lot a rich history of 
empires in Africa as well. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I'm thinking specifically of what Lakia Little saying. Like there's a epic, a, a name I love if I ever have a boy is Sendia. Um, it's an African epic, you know, a la like um, Odysseus and just full of magical realism rooted in history. And we don't learn any, I didn't learn that till college. Um, I didn't learn about Great Zimbabwe, one of the old ancient empires in Africa until college. You know, a lot of the stuff I didn't learn, a lot of pre-colonial African history I didn't learn till college. And then even when I was teaching U.S. history, started with enslavement. That's it. Black folks were slaves. That was it. I'm like, was there anything else? Anything? And I knew there was uh, because where I went to school and what I didn't hear were those folks who we call them self-emancipated Africans. So Mm. enslaved Africans who ran away from slavery and started free hidden societies Mm. throughout the America. So not the equivalent of running away to Canada and living free. (laughs) These were like in swamps and jungles and mountains because they were adjacent to colonial plantation society. They fought wars. They built their own nation states. And we don't learn anything about this. So this is a little bit of what I mean, the richness of Black history. Um, and I this is not coming from a place of shame of my enslaved ancestors. It's not that. It's telling the whole story. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And instead of focusing on the one egregious part of that history, which we all agree is horrible and and shining the light on some of this other stuff. Well, I, I mean, and I didn't know any of that. I, I remember um, watching a, there's there's a show that's on, um, I forget what it's called. It's 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 by the same person that uh, has is responsible for Downton Abbey. And, and uh, there's some buzz around the show that they show affluent, black people and oh, uh, but what, what's that is it the gilded age yes 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 mm-hmm. thank, you. <laughs> thank you for filling that in yeah but also that central park itself was a thriving black neighborhood mm-hmm. and then it was all taken away yep seneca village seneca village is that mm-hmm. yeah so who would have founded that how did that come to be and how did it come to be erased well, Seneca Village was established by self-emancipated African, you know, folks who um, were moved up north to escape slavery, folks who built homes and communities, you know, gen- for generations, and it was destroyed to build Central Park. And that, unfortunately, is a common theme throughout uh, United States history in particular. I just came back from a trip from Tulsa. And people may have heard of Black Wall Street now. Um, Greenwood Avenue was one of the most thriving, economically and socially thriving Black communities in the nation. And it was destroyed. Um, It was a massacre, essentially, partly fueled by jealousy. They felt uh, the Black folks were getting too big for their britches. They weren't staying in their place. And so a white mob using planes just like bombed and set fires to... Greenwood Avenue. I want to say, don't quote me on the number, but it was at least 32 blocks were destroyed. And I knew that didn't know is they rebuilt. And then urban renewal came building all the highways and infrastructure. They built the freeway right through the rebuilt Greenwood Avenue. Same thing in Treme in New Orleans, one of the oldest free black um, city or neighbor in the nation built the freeway right right through it so usually if there's a freeway 
or a giant canal that's been dug through, it's probably been dug through a black neighborhood and or depending on where you are in the country, an indigenous community or a Latina community. Oh. So, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because it's like, okay, we, re we rebuilt the resilience and then bam, another thing comes. Mm. And part of the reason I do this work is because I need to remind myself, one, how daunting, daunting the task is and how we continue to thrive despite this. Like we yes. are a persistent people and um, that's the narrative. Again, the whole story I want to be told. Yeah, I love that. I love that. The resilience, the... Oh, the resourcefulness they yeah th that is incredible it's incredible it's wow what a what a rich history really that is that is incredible devastating and incredible and and but that's the point is that you want it to not only be tied to your trauma uh tied to mm -hmm. the trauma of the community of yeah so so how do you help? So, okay. So I, I want to sort of ask you a question about what, what's happening in schools, right? So this, the current school environment, as, as you, as you say, it is, it really trains black and brown youth to see themselves through a deficit. So what is it that your work does to, to help to transform that? Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed one, the history that we're teaching, um, mm -hmm. again, only enslavement, no resistance, no resilience, nothing, <laughs> even though all of that existed. And two, when I was left the classroom, oh, and one, the narrative about like students and test scores, like you very rarely in a broader narrative hear about like black student achievement and thriving. It's mm. always positioned as a problem black folks are always positioned as a problem to be solved I think I wish I could remember was it Richard Wright or somebody came up to Du Bois or Richard Wright or somebody I wish I could quote this directly and said you know how does it feel to be a problem <gasps> and like always viewing black folks and black students in particular as a problem and so that's how I felt when I was in my doctoral program where even from researchers who were trying to show the systemic structural issues mm -hmm. that impact Black schooling, it was always framed, Black students were framed up, and this just is why they can't succeed and why they don't this and why they don't that. Where I went to Spelman, a historically Black college, where all I saw was Black achievement and success. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, this, again, this isn't telling the whole story. So for my dissertation, I wanted to look at Black students from low-income communities who were academically thriving and like mm. why that was and came across this framework called community cultural wealth. So they were leveraging their community cultural wealth in academic institutions to be successful. And I wanted to position, again, the Black student as their experience as an assets-based experience instead of these poor, dear, unfortunate souls mm -hmm. that we need to parachute in and help. And I didn't realize this was a connection all throughout my life until recently, the same with my Maroon Communities work. So as I mentioned, I think Maroon Communities were self-emancipated folks who started their own hit societies. Okay. And I realized that Black, the way Black history is taught, again, is always centered on trauma. And I'm not saying ignore those pieces, 
but again, tell the full story. So I wanted to position Black folks and African folks in the diaspora. Diaspora is spreading out of people. So if we talk, talk about African diaspora, talking about Black people everywhere. <laughs> um, so yes. in the case of enslavement, it's, you know, North America, Central America, South America, Caribbean. And where everybody, so they start from one place, but where they, uh, where they end up, where they, where they move to throughout the world. Yeah, just moving throughout the world. Right. Or being taken throughout the world. Mm, so I right. wanted to show what are, if we're looking at the Black experience from an asset-based lens, who are those communities we can go to to show how we've created thriving free spaces despite what was going on around us? Um, and Maroon communities are diverse. There's not one type of Maroon community. Sometimes they were large nation states like Palmares mm. and Brazil at its height was about 30,000 people. King Zumbi, their leader, uh, was very much slavery needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And so he had a scorched earth policy of like, I'm just going to burn all the plantations down, fought oh, legit oh, wars oh. with the Portuguese and the Dutch. Same with Queen Nanny in Jamaica. So there were lots of women Maroon leaders too. Sometimes their names are kind of squashed down in history, but Dandara was another one from Bongo I love Mars. that. I, I love that <laughs> there were women. I don't love that it was yes. <laughs> buried, but uh, that's that's incredible. Wow. If you speak to any Jamaican, I will say Jamaicans know their maroon history and they all know Queen Nanny. Um, and she also had a scorched earth policy. She was like, we need to get rid of enslavement and fought massive wars against the British. There was a point in Jamaican mm. history where Maroons controlled the entire eastern side of the island. Really? Well, this is mm -hmm. incredible. Wow. <laughs> really fascinating. Can you, can we go back to community cultural wealth? Mm -hmm. This is, this is where you say that you see excellence in, in Black students, right? Mm -hmm. And that they're drawing upon this community cultural wealth. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Like, what is that? And, you know, how, how, how do people sort of access that or become a part of that? Mm -hmm. So community cultural wealth comes from the scholarship of Tara J. Yoso, a Latina scholar. Okay. And she said there that marginalized communities have cultural capital that's not recognized in the research or by institutions. And she specifically identifies six types of cultural capital, aspirational capital, familial capital, linguistic capital, social capital, navigational capital, and resisting capital. And so marginalized or and students from marginalized communities are coming in to the classrooms, to education spaces, just living their lives with this type of capital, but it's not recognized in them. Okay. And so my work is to show, empirically show, like, this is what it could look like. Mm -hmm. Well, this is what it looks like in action. So my dissertation was observing and interviewing students to see how they were activating their community cultural wealth in different spaces. Interesting. My current research is about how um, Black students are activating their community cultural wealth in rigorous mathematics classrooms and how teachers can cultivate and leverage student community cultural wealth. Wow, uh, that's great. And so is this in, is this specifically something that 
that black students are taught or is this something that is taught in the, the whole classroom or is it just specific to black students i'm just curious uh, because what my thought <laughs> what my thought is that what's good for for a black student is good for everybody right because we all need to to know and learn and and recognize that there are these that that there is uh value there mm -hmm. it's not it's something that exists within all from those perception all marginalized communities and her work focused on latin a students and has applied to black students as well like my research she's also talked about um, black student experiences and there's other scholars and it's but it's not at this stage i would like it to be taught to students it's more like a lens you know i wear glasses mm -hmm. for those who aren't watching pointing to my glasses <laughs> um, that's right that's right yeah a lens, a lens to view students like instead of they're coming in with as blank slates gotcha. or gotcha. they're coming in with these horrible home cultures it's like uh, the assumption that my students off the bat have this type of capital. I'm thinking of as a teacher. And right. so how do we cultivate and leverage this capital? Because the assumption, mm. my favorite assumption and others as well, is that it's there. We just have to tap into it on the teacher end. And then on the student end, I wanted to show what it looks like when students are activating aspirational gotcha. capital in a classroom or familial capital in a classroom. <clears throat> Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, so essentially what you're saying is, okay, we need to not look at this poor, unfortunate soul as a poor, we, we need to stop looking at them like that. We need to stop even thinking that and say, actually mm -hmm. this person, uh, this student has this aspirational capital within this community that, that, that actually we can tap into to show them how great they are, to show them the gifts that they bring, that that matters too. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, and, and so those six areas are aspirational, familial, linguistic, social. And there were, there were two other that I didn't catch because I was furiously writing it down. Oh, that's a lot. Navigational capital and resistant capital. And so there, so to sort of take, take some of these and, 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 and break them apart a little bit. Resistant capital just means as it sounds like what the, um, what their ancestors resisted and rose up against. Is that correct? That's part of it. And also when, like what I'm seeing in a lot of my research is students, black students intentionally rebutting stereotypes. Mm. And so like, I'm going to achieve specifically because you don't think I will. Ah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You said I'm not going to make it. I'm going to show you. <laughs> Big <thing>. middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then what, what is, uh, what is ling linguistic? So this varies. So cultural assets come from the community. So like in Latinx communities, for example, we'd see just bilingualism or multilingualism. For Black students, AAVE is a separate, people call it a dialect, but it, it does have its own like language structures. So that yeah. ability to code switch between different linguistic styles, different communication styles, being able to take this content over here and translate it into like more youth culture content would be like an example of linguistic capital. 
Mm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And and really, we should really look at it like a dialect. Is, mm-hmm. You think? Yeah. Yeah. It's not more like not language. lesser, but I'm not a language. So, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know we're just talking though. We're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know, you know, as the academic, I'm like, I didn't want a scholar reaching out. Well, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, let's just go with this. No, but I, but I want to get it right too. It's important for me to get it right. And, uh, and I know that, you know, look, we, we, as a society have to look at this too, right? We, we need to reframe what we're saying, what we're looking at. And it cannot be always white people rescuing because that's, that's you don't want that anyway, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. You got your own, you got your own strength and assets and history of being strong and powerful. And, um, and, and that's what I'm hearing you say. That's really what I'm hearing mm-hmm. you say. And, and I love that there is that positive spin on it, that it's empowering. You know, it's really like to sound kind of corny, taking your power back. Like, no, no, yes. don't look at me there like this. Know. Look at what I, what, what not only I can do, what my family can do, has done, and what my ancestors have done. It's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty proud of who I am, actually. Thank you very much. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah. you want. I love that. That's really, I, that is exciting. Um, okay. So what are some, you know, what are some activities that parents can do with their kids to help them be more proud of who they are and, and where they come from? Well, I created a hidden history card deck that oh. tells the stories of maroon communities um, because my own personal journey after my doctorate into the nonprofit space at reform nonprofits. So these aren't the same as grassroots nonprofits. Okay. Um, they kind of come from outside of the community and had some pretty, the work we did was amazing, but had some pretty negative experiences and organizations that were using a lot of like, we're anti-racist and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are we really? Um, and not just me, you know, other folks. And I started, and then I went to another job where it was the same old, same old. And I was like, wow, where can I go? I start to feel depressed because um, mm-hmm. I'm trying, trying to be a better human. Where can I go? I don't expect us to achieve like the state of nirvana, anti-racist nirvana, but like, where can we be in on a, in a, in on an, an authentic journey yes, <laughs> towards okay. these liberatory principles? And I was like, wait a minute. So as a history major in undergrad, maroon communities provide a framework for how to be a free person in the midst of an oppressive society. Yes. So I created, you know, as a teacher, created this whole framework on how to become a maroon. You know, first you you have an awakening, like the status quo is not what it should be, especially those who were born into enslavement. You're definitely taught um, from religion to society structure that this is the place, this is the status of Africans in the world. This is how God made it. And you realize like, no, I don't really know about that. Then you take the active steps to liberate yourself. Then you have to negotiate freedom. Like what are you willing to give up in order to maintain your freedom? Because they're Plantation society saw Maroons as an existential and physical threat. So they were always trying to invade them and conquer them. Sometimes there were outright wars. Sometimes there were treaty sign that we might be like, did you, did we really have to do that? But meaning like, so one treaty, for example, if Maroon, some Maroon communities agreed to return any new runaways in exchange to like not be invaded. So it's not a good thing. You know, it's not something we look at as a good thing. And they had to deal with the realities of where they were faced. Now, typically Maroons would break these treaties and still keep the people anyway. Um, And then there's like, 
who are we as a free people, like kind of this nation building state. And I've created this whole framework in my friend, another history major who's a teacher turned nonprofit worker. It's like, this is great, but nobody even knows who Maroons are. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I created the history card deck to, so people can get an idea of who Maroons are. So there it's three sections, important ideas. So self-defense, self-determination, um, spirituality and kinship integral to Maroon societies. And then some important Maroon folks and then some important Maroon communities. This does not cover all of them. There's a lot. <laughs> and That's it's great. just to give a little taste of who Maroons are at their core and like what they are beliefs in some important communities. Right. And then also from there, it was like, you know, cards aren't enough. Like they raise awareness, but really how do we all reconnect to our own stories? Um of resistance, of resilience. Mm -hmm. And so created a curriculum, it's called the Emancipated Experience, that uses the cards as a jumping off point for us to reconnect with our family stories, our local place-based stories, especially, you know, during the pandemic, I feel like a lot of us became more isolated. Definitely. Um, and some of us may have moved and then like oh wait I don't actually have community here so the activities are designed for self-reflection familial reflection like learning our family stories and then there's always an activity like to go out in your community and meet someone it's usually it's specific not just go randomly to play you know but like maybe find a black owned bookstore find a black owned coffee shop and I center black folks but all of these and I would love folks to all learn about the black histories in their places and also reconnect if you aren't Black with your own family's histories and family stories and other communities. So, and it's inter, it's designed to be intergenerational. Oh, so, wow. So it's really about like, let's start having the conversation. Let's start looking at this. Let's start learning about this and mm -hmm. being curious about this. Yeah, that's about these maroon communities. So, you know, and, and you have, you've given us uh, in the parent toolbox, uh, emancip your emancipated book list. So if you are interested in learning more, you do have resources for people to, to, to read, to look at, to, to learn more about this history. And I think this is important for everybody to learn about this, right? Every community to learn about this, because it's a shared, it's a shared it's a shared history, right? Mm -hmm. What, what, you know, what happened in, in North America and in the world, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm half German, right? So, I mean, I came from somewhere else, you know, my, my ancestors came from somewhere else, right? I'm half German, half Scottish. So, you know, I, I didn't start out here. So there's, there's rich history everywhere. Right. So um, I really like that. And I, I'm so, I'm so grateful to you and to, to, to your work for, helping to reframe this and helping, uh, you know, not just black students discover the excellence that is within them, but also to help the, the greater community see each other in a much different way and honor their past good and bad. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. So uh, people can find you at emancipatededucation.com and you are on Instagram, you're on TikTok and um, you're TikTok at emancipated underscore ED. 
uh, or emancipate underscore ed, sorry. And, uh, and then LinkedIn, uh, you're at Crystal Menzies, uh, PhD. Um, so people can find you anywhere. And, uh, and I, I just want to thank you so much again for this, this conversation. I've learned things that I didn't know before. Uh, and, and that, that is always my objective is to, to, to bring guests like you to, to just help us understand things in a different way as it all relates to parenting, as we can all be better parents and better students of this world and just better humans. So I hope that, that everybody listening has felt this way. So thank you so much. And don't forget to go to the toolbox, parent-toolbox.com, and you can get Crystal's uh, list of, uh, of books to help you continue your journey and your learning as well. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.